0: to our fourth episode of Lead Travel Prey. My name is Sandy Schneider, and we are excited today to talk about our best of the British Isles, which is um, actually the second episode in our travel sector, followed up um, from our first with Maui. Today, I'd like to welcome my partners and dear friends, uh, Rebecca Ellis and Michelle Strike. Uh, Ladies, so nice to see you and to see you together in St. Louis.
1: Yes, we're excited to be together. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And a very special welcome to today's guest, representing the voice of the younger generation of travelers. Today we have joining us Elena Ellis, Rebecca's high school age daughter. So welcome to Elena. Hi. (laughs) We're glad to have you, Elena. Uh, So as we get started in talking about Um, our best, what we like best about visiting the British Isles, uh, places that really impressed us, and some um, exciting experiences and sometimes even uh uh-oh experiences, Um, I think it's good to start with a little bit of context. So as we refer to the British Isles today, we're talking about the group of islands off the northwest coast of continental Europe, and that includes the United Kingdom of Great Britain, England, Scotland, and Wales, and Northern Ireland. It also includes the Republic of Ireland, and believe it or not, about 6,000 smaller islands, which is uh, quite significant. And uh, today we're going to talk about what our personal experiences have been, and I think we're going to start with the largest city in the British Isles, uh, London a place where all of us have visited uh, as early as the 90s and as recent as uh, last week, I believe. So as we talk about um, London, uh, I'd like to throw it out to you all over there. Um, What was your favorite uh, experience about London or a memory that you've taken away from your London experience that uh, is really memorable?
2: Sure, this is Rebecca. I'll go ahead and start. So I had a chance to go to London in 1992 with a UCA all-star cheerleading group when I was only uh, just barely 18. And then I had a chance to go back there in 2012, 20 years later. And in both visits, the crown jewels was actually my favorite thing to see. Um, So that's kind of fun to reflect on uh, what I guess stuck with me. And um, recently, my daughter got a chance to see the the crown jewels as well. And uh, she mentioned that was a highlight for her. Elena, what was your other favorite thing to see?
3: Uh, I enjoyed going to the Tower of London,
2: which is where the crown jewels are. Um, And so, I think one thing too, the um, hop on, hop off bus was really helpful. And that was actually what we bought our tickets through. It helped us um, not be in the line to go see. Uh, the Tower of London, and it's a really quick way to see a lot of the city. Elena, would you say you enjoyed the hop-on, hop-off bus?
3: Yes, it was a really easy way to see a lot of things in a short period of time and not spend a lot of money.
0: That was my experience with the hop-on, hop-off bus, too. I think I did it uh, my first day in London when I was a little bit jet-lagged, and it was a great way to get To orient yourself to the city, to see a bunch of the highlights, and to do so from a lovely air-conditioned bus um, where someone was uh, speaking into my headphones. Uh, By the way, I was impressed with the multiple languages that were offered on the Mm -hmm. hop-on, hop-off bus, Um, but I thought that was a great overview of the city.
1: Yes, very accommodating.
0: I also did
1: the hop-on, hop-off bus tour Um, when I was there. It was in 2000, so I don't really remember it in London per se. I just remember that at different points I was really tired, and even though I was there during the summer, it was quite cold, so I'd bundle up on the top of the bus and then end up falling asleep about halfway (laughs) through (laughs) and then feeling like I needed to go and do the second half of the tour over again. Um, So...
2: (laughs) You can sleep until the branches whack so you in it was the head. It's a relaxing like,
0: experience. It's yes. relaxing.
1: Yes, quite cold at times. Um, so, some of the things that I really enjoyed seeing were Big Ben, because you see it on TV all the time, but really seeing it in person was um, great. And then Westminster Abbey and Piccadilly Circus. Um, went there mm. uh, at night and during the day, and two very different vibes to be able to um, kind of experience, I would say, London. In, it's glory Mm -hmm. I I enjoyed it yeah it's it's like the
2: Times Square of London right and so definitely a lot different vibe than some of the more historic areas
1: yeah and when I originally was there was during the day and everybody said you have to go back at night because it really is different and it is there were live bands there and um they played American Pie, and the Brits get way more into it than the <laughs> Americans. It was really interesting to be there and see them so excited and dancing and everything. It was fun. Oh, that's fun.
2: You mentioned Big Ben. Well, Elena was there last weekend, it was under construction, and you might want to share just a bit about how interesting that looked.
3: Yeah, it just, there were a lot of workers on it, and it looked like a skeleton of Big Ben, and it kind of showed that... Although the buildings there are really old, they still have a modern flair to them because of the new construction.
0: So, Elena, tell us about your visit last week. What was drawing you to London? Because I know you and your dad traveled there um, while the rest of your family were in other parts of Europe.
3: Yeah, we went there for the Chelsea soccer game um, in the Premier League, and uh, we... Just went to the Stanford Bridge Stadium, got to see them play, and then also visited the Tower of London.
2: And Wimbledon, right? And Wimbledon. Yeah, and, and tell us about Wimbledon. You you mentioned how you didn't expect that to be kind of outside of the city, and you got to see a little bo- bit more of a traditional neighborhood. What was that like? I know it's because you took the wrong bus stop, but <laughs> how did you get such a detour? Uh, what was that like?
3: So I was expecting it to be more in this city and not just in a nice neighborhood, but it is just kind of like a park. Um, they have more of like a track and field place and where people are practicing rugby and stuff, and there were nice houses around it. And so whenever we got off at our bus, um, we thought we were walking to the right place because it looked more of a city atmosphere, but we actually took a wrong turn and had a 2 mile um, hike there and ended up going into just like a little neighborhood where the small stadium was.
2: That was cool to you because you got to see how people live outside of, we were talking just, you know, when people come to the United States and visit only Manhattan, they really don't get a sense for how life is in, say, St. Louis or Indianapolis or other parts of the country.
1: Yeah, I would say that um, when I was there, I really got to experience that because I stayed in a suburb of London called Reading. It's actually a city in and of itself. It's about 25 minutes outside of London. And so I would experience taking the bus to get to the train station to then take the train into London and walking through all the neighborhoods and everything. In fact, um, to prepare for this, I went back through and looked through some of my journals, and one night we had a late dinner in London, and I said, it was actually kind of scary to walk through these neighborhoods by myself at 11.45 at night from the bus station, but I was very safe. I didn't really see anybody, but I definitely, I would say, got to experience what life is if you're living in the middle of a neighborhood and trying to commute without transportation, Mm -hmm. taking their cool taxis and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Speaking of commuting, um, I thought that the tube was so easy to use the underground uh, subway system. Having grown up in a city that did not have such significant uh, public transportation, there's a little bit of intimidation. I was traveling by myself at that point, and so you it felt like I needed to spend some time actually studying the map to figure out how I could get from my hotel to the theater district um, where I was going to have dinner, and then see um, a a fantastic theatrical performance that evening. And I was so pleasantly surprised at how easy the transportation system was to use, um, how clean and and really, how friendly and helpful people were there.
2: I agree. And nowadays, we're so spoiled with great technology too. You know, when you land on a new continent, a new country, um, if you've got your phone enabled, the Google map updates with transit, and so you can you know very easily find both how to walk or how to take public transportation. Even now, I think it's integrated to call an Uber to that location. Um, but that's definitely really handy and something that we've been using a lot more, trying to take advantage of, especially these bigger um, cities and all the public transportation options they have.
1: Yeah, and um, so I, that was my first place that I ever did public transportation, and so at 22 years old, I was able to easily figure it out. Um, I did go with somebody who had been there before on my first day, so that helped because I was quite intimidated by, how do you even get tickets? For um, for the trains mm-hmm. that you need to take and everything, but then once you figure it out, it's it's pretty easy. I would say mm-hmm. that there were definitely times where um, the the um System would be really crowded, and so building in extra time because sometimes you don't get on the first train that comes, and mm-hmm. you have to wait for another one. So even though your phone tells you the time, sometimes you got to get there early or be willing to stay for thirty minutes because you might have to take the second or the third one that comes.
2: Yeah, and it probably goes without saying, but um, it is really nice that this is an English speaking yes. area, um, and yes, so that de- definitely. that definitely does help the intimidation factor um, in terms of just the language barrier not being as significant i will say however conversationally it was a lot harder to understand but people both in england and in ireland than i anticipated just because of the maybe speed or the the dialect or accent Um, so i didn't anticipate that so much but certainly the written language was very easy
0: any uh-oh experiences? Things that didn't go the way that you had originally planned and you pulled away uh, a lesson learned?
2: Well, Elaine and her dad got lost on the way to Wimbledon, but uh, uh, any other uh-ohs, Elena?
3: Uh We only brought one charger um, to London because whenever we separated from the family on the vacation, they took the other ones. And whenever we were trying to plug it into our hotel outlet, it didn't fit. So we had to go and find a Walgreens or CVS. However, in London, they don't really have an easy Walgreens or CVS to find. So we have to find like an off-brand kind of pharmacy thing uh, and look for a outlet.
2: So were both of your phones dead by the time you found power again? Because I remember that was a bit of an emergency on your first day. Pretty much. Yes. <laughs> so yes, never, um, never hurts to have a backup charging situation.
1: Absolutely. So I don't know that you know, mine was an uh-oh, but I would say that, um, when I was there, allergies were at its height that summer and it wasn't just for, um, those of us who were not in country. Um, I remember walking into every single drugstore. and, and the entire front section of the store had huge displays of allergy medicine and Kleenex and all kinds of things. And so you're there having to, you know, get drugs that you never heard of. And um, I had to wear my sunglasses until it got dark every <laughs> single night because my eyes were watering to the point where it's just like water running down my face <laughs> because my allergies were so bad. So that was an experience. I went through more Kleenex there than ever in my life. I went through probably three travel size packages a day. Oh my goodness! Yeah, for a really long time. So that was kind of a uh oh. Of I did not expect this, and then had to figure out what drugs work, and it was odd.
2: How about you, Sandy? What was your aha, uh oh, aha moment?
0: Well, you know, it's uh, driving on the opposite side of the street. Um, I knew that I should stay away from that. So I didn't even attempt to do that. Uh, but I was not. I did a lot of walking through London, busy streets, um, and I was not prepared for the challenge of crossing the street. When you're used to looking one direction for oncoming traffic and you actually need to be looking the other direction. So um, I I have challenges crossing streets anyways, but my strategy was (laughs) to make sure I I was crossing in a pack and uh, at least the 10th person crossing that street, which made me more comfortable.
2: It does remind me of your hit and run accident, which may need to be a story in a future podcast. But yes, we're glad you crossed the street safely in London.
0: Oh, that's right. I've got lots of strategies. Um, so let's now back up a little bit outside of London so we've all had our London experiences the largest city but there's a lot of great things to see outside of the big city so let's um, broaden our um, look and uh, talk a little bit about England
1: yeah so since I was studying abroad for six weeks I was fortunate enough to travel um, quite a bit around different areas of England um, so let me just tell you uh, several of the places that I went to, and I will give more detail on a couple of them that really stood out. So I went um, to Bath and um, toured the the place where Stonehenge is, so it's not in Bath, but it's not all that far from there. I was able to tour the Roman Baths and see Stonehenge. So those were both um, really cool experiences to kind of kick off my trip. Um, You do have to have quite a bit of time if you're willing to do that because it is far outside of London. It's Mm -hmm. like a day trip to go and just do those two things and then I also went to Oxford and Cambridge and saw the universities there and I would say that I definitely enjoyed Cambridge more. It was less touristy than Oxford was and so I was able to see more of the university and I remember, um, I, I remember the memories, but then also in going back and reading about it. Um, at King's College there, that's where a lot of the royal family members have gone to university. Um, so I, I was able to tour that as well as the chapel um, or the church that was there. And I noted that it was um, definitely pro- the prettiest one that I saw. It was quite intricate. in um, in the design and in the stained glass windows there and so I would say certainly if you have time to go there it would be great we also ate lunch at a tea room and um, just um, I feel had kind of a authentic British experience by being there
2: Me. Yeah, we, because I was with 600 cheerleaders, we were um, on a pretty tight travel schedule and got to see quite a bit outside of London as well. What sticks out for me is the Windsor Castle and particularly the church right next to it, which was really amazing. I think it's called the St. George Chapel. Mm-hmm. Um, that was probably the most beautiful church I had ever seen and, and maybe still uh, to this day. And then also Stratford upon Avon. So as a, a high school senior, having you know been kind of deep in a lot of Shakespeare and other, um, you know, British literature, that was really cool to see. So those were probably the highlights for me outside of London.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed both of those places, and um, I also really liked going to Warwick, which is not that far outside of London. It's again a little more extensive, so we stayed overnight there but it was probably my favorite castle. Madame Tussaud's museum um, has gone in and created wax figures. And so you really get a sense of what it was like to, um, to live back then because you could see kind of people that were dressed in style doing things in all the different rooms. So if it was the dining room, they were sitting around eating. Or um, if it was the kitchen, you would see the servants that were cooking and everything. So that was probably my favorite because all the others, except for Windsor, which is obviously still inhabited, all the others were empty.
3: Mm -hmm. So you're just kind of
1: walking around looking at castles, but I would say that... Of everything that I did in every single country that I went to, touring the castles was just spectacular. As an American, we don't get to do that. Mm-hmm. And so going there, and even the ones that had been partially burned down or destroyed, seeing them
0: was still um, really pretty. Very cool. I think I heard you, Michelle, earlier mention tea. Did, um, did you guys experience the cultural high tea?
1: I did at a hotel. It was really interesting. It was the first time that I had ever had milk in my hot tea, and I have to say that I'm a fan.
2: <laughs> yes, me too. In uh, the, the 1992 trip, I did get a chance to do that. Um, not in the last visit, but um, certainly it's a, it's a very neat tradition to take part of.
0: I I would agree. That is one of um, my fondest memories, is uh, experiencing, it's really a cultural experience, very different than anything I had experienced here in the U.S., um, with a friend who is British, so she was able to sort of fill me in on the cultural significance of all of the different parts of the tea, but uh, everything about it was phenomenal for me, and I would highly recommend that if if someone has a chance.
1: Another experience, this is taking us back to London, but around food, is um, I did go eat at the cafe at Harrods, which is a huge, Mm. huge store to shop in. I don't know how many levels are in there, maybe six or something. Mm -hmm. Um, It's massive. And at their cafe, they have phenomenal crepes. And so that was quite the um, experience to go to Harrods and eat crepes. I felt, again, quite British. I'm sure that they don't really take the time to do that, but I at least felt that way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Can't go wrong with crepes. Right. Um, How about Scotland? Uh, Michelle, I think you have visited Scotland as well, right?
1: yes i did so um i took a weekend trip to edinburgh and um probably the highlight there i think that every single person who goes there probably tours edinburgh castle it's it's very massive and um, what i liked about it is that it overlooks a lot of greenery i would say that that's one of the big things that stood out to me even When I compare it to the countryside in England and Scotland, it was just much more lush and green and there were lakes um, all over the place. So if you um, took a, a tour to the top of the castle or one of the towers that they have there, you really got a view of all of Edinburgh. And I would say that that's the place that I definitely experienced the biggest struggle with the language because the um, the accent in Scotland is very strong. And so even though a lot of their words were the same as us in America, between their different words and the strong accent, um, I remember having to ask people multiple times to repeat it and then walking away thinking, I still don't know where I'm supposed to go <laughs> <laughs> and trying to figure that out. While we were up there, we also toured some places in northern England. So while not Scotland, we went to um, Glasgow and, mm. um, and York. And I would say that both of those places were, were very nice. They were more, I would say, Scottish-like than um, than English. And mm-hmm. so I felt like all of those areas really kind of went hand in hand, but they have different history because it's so far north and really far from london and so it's um much more historical we toured mm-hmm. a, a church there that was over 500 years old and a um, really rich history um definitely lots of scotch and whiskey up there <laughs> so um, that was a good experience um i was 22 so i never had anything like that so it was fun to kind of get to try different things
0: What are your recommendations, Michelle? It sounds like you've done quite a bit of travel in the area. What are your recommendations concerning transportation? How do you get to all of these places?
1: Yeah, so getting from London to Edinburgh, we took an overnight train, and um, it was a sleeper car with a bug bed, and um, I did think that that worked out really well to be able to do that. Even if you're just in a seat and not in a sleeper car, that's definitely cheaper. Um, we left London at maybe ten thirty at night and got into Edinburgh at seven thirty or so in the morning, and that was a really good use of time because it gave us the whole day in um, in the area, um, and then w- within the city, taking the hop on hop off bus tours, we did that, and then um, taxis were um, were easy but i would say then when we went to places like glasgow and york we just took trains to get there um one of the things that i wrote down multiple times and i'm sure now with um, smartphones you can figure this out easier is that oftentimes we would have to wait an hour or an hour and a half for a train because maybe we just missed it and we didn't know the schedule and so Mm -hmm. i We had to build in so much more downtime to get from places that on the map look close. And we thought, for sure, we can fully explore both of these small cities in a day Mm -hmm. when it ended up being a really long day or we didn't really get to see nearly what we expected to because we spent so much time waiting for a train and sitting at the train station.
2: That makes sense. Yeah. Because a lot of the schedules are pretty far apart and you... Yeah, it's not on demand.
1: Yeah, so this is a place where I had one of my uh uh-oh moments. So one of the students who um, came to study abroad had the flu, and so she very nicely passed it around to virtually every (laughs) single one of us. (laughs) And um, I did not get the flu for um, the first two to three weeks, and I thought that I was safe and um, ended up getting it while I was in the middle of Scotland.
3: Mm. And
1: um, so that was <clears throat> that was truly the pits
3: yeah. Uh,
1: because we were staying in hostels because that's what we could afford at the time. And that one in particular, it was about 16 to 20 people in a room. It was just a room mm. full of bunk beds. And so I pushed myself to do all the touring that I could during the day and would just like eat dinner very early, go back to the hostel and sleep. And then I'd be asleep for hours and then all of the rowdy people would come in drunk at like 2 Mm a.m. And uh, definitely it was an experience. So I would say that I would love to go back to Scotland when I wasn't pushing through a fever and everything else to be able to see it. Uh, My mom fondly reminds me of the email that I sent her. So back then I had to go to an internet cafe to do it. And the subject line of it was I feel like crap except i didn't say crap and she said as a mom to get that email when your daughter is an ocean away was not fantastic but i right. to this day 18 Aww. years later remember sitting in that inner cafe internet cafe typing that email to her because i was like i don't even know how i'm going to do this i feel so bad and i'm like eight hours away from london and
2: sharing a bathroom with 20 strangers yes. <laughs> it was great yes.
1: it was a growth opportunity for me is what i yes. would say
0: I would say so. <laughs> that is certainly an uh-oh moment thank you for sharing that yep. michelle um so let's jump uh, across to one of the big islands and talk about ireland both of you have had the opportunity to visit ireland right yes and um, so share with us a little bit about your best memories or uh favorite activities on ireland
2: so this is rebecca i'll start um i was at um Dublin and the surrounding area in around 2012 for an academic conference I was attending and my husband uh, decided to join me and we decided to rent a car even though we knew there was decent public transit to the university we wanted to be able to explore a bit on the day before the conference started so first of all driving on the wrong side of the road is just a major mental shift as you mentioned Sandy even as a pedestrian It's hard to get used to looking in the opposite direction or being walking down a sidewalk and here comes a car next to you that you you know, for your entire life haven't anticipated. And just really um, trying to, uh, first of all, get comfortable with all the roundabouts and shifting with the opposite hand. So most cars are manual transmission and you know that going into it, but then you don't realize that this means I'm also shifting with my left hand and not my right. Um, But we did pull three times straight into oncoming traffic when leaving, you know, a gas station or like once you get going on an interstate or road, it's not that confusing. But every time you're off the road and back on, it's this mental shift, right, to pull into the closest lane and not the furthest, for example, if you're if you're turning left. So a few day, a few adjustments that first day. But the major uh uh-oh. Uh, for me in Ireland, has to do with a rental car as well. They told us it was diesel. We heard that. We understood it. At our first stop, we looked at the green handle and not necessarily the label. Green is diesel in the United States. Here, uh, not only is green diesel, but it won't fit in your gas. Um, It's the opposite there. And so we filled our little rental car up with petro, as they would say, petroleum, And um, it ran for about 10, 15 miles, and then it did not run anymore. Oh, no. (laughs) And uh, we ended up pulling over (laughs) at a Volkswagen dealer. Um, They quickly went over, smelled it, knew immediately that it was petroleum, said, Petro. We're like, no, no, diesel, green handle. No, green handle, not diesel. So it was about a $200 mistake. I mean, thankfully we caught it early, they pumped it out, they changed the filter, and then we got on our way. But that was about a four hour unexpected detour. And um, we were in the Wicklow area, so fortunately we were in a beautiful little town where we could walk around, look at the golf course, have a a drink and and some lunch. Um, But the biggest I.O. perhaps, and what could have potentially been a very serious mistake we made The guys had paid attention to a couple of the uh, sales guys' cars, and I mean, the cars were very different than what we were used to. And they saw, after we got the call our car was ready, they saw one of the guys from the dealership coming in down the street. And so we were waving, and he was waving back. When he stopped at the, the stoplight, we just bailed into his car. And he turned around and looked at us with wide eyes, and we were like, oh, you weren't coming for us, were you? And he said, I was running the bank deposit, another guy's on his way to pick you up, I guess. And, I mean, fortunately, this guy wasn't yielding a gun or something because we seriously all just jumped in his car. And he was uh, nice enough to just dial back to the friend and say, I've got the Americans. Don't you worry. They're on their way back with me. I'm going to the bank first.
1: If he has a podcast, you probably made it into his. I mean, we
2: seriously like hijacked a car. And so we laughed and laughed. I mean, it was so there were two couples myself and my husband, and then a college classmate and her husband. And I mean, Four adults just bailing into your car had to been a bit unsettling in this town but anyway we were on our way to Wicklow and Glendalock which those are things I would highly recommend they're just about an hour south of Dublin It is a bit of a harrowing drive as the walls are stone next to what you're driving and it's tour buses and really tight. And honestly, the rental car company was really surprised our car came back without damage because it's very common that uh, the cars get damaged driving around Ireland. So little did they know we almost kind of damaged the engine. But anyway, not the outside.
0: So with that said, that's a bunch of uh oh's. Is the Ellis family still welcome in
2: Ireland? Well, it's a good question. I don't know. We may be blacklisted on some rental car companies if they know the the real truth there. But it is a place like I'm not sure I would have felt comfortable driving with the kids. Um, it's a it's a risky proposition in my mind to drive in Ireland. Um, so I'm not sure I would do that again, but it is nice to have the independence of a car. I just don't know that it's worth the safety.
1: Yeah. So, um, when I was there, I was with one of my professors and she rented a car. And when I was going back and looking at my journal, I commented on how many curbs she went up and (laughs) how she repeatedly hit bushes all along the side (laughs) because she was so scared that she would go into oncoming traffic. (laughs) <laughs> that she was um, hitting the curb over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. But that is a place where you can't do mass transportation um, if you're outside of London. And so Dublin, you really yep. you're, Sorry, outside mm-hmm. of Dublin. So you really have to be willing to rent a car if you want to see much of the country. You you can't rely upon trains to get there.
2: Or take a bus tour or right, yep. some organized way to get around.
1: Yes, yes. Yeah. So for us, we were there to see the countryside. We really just flew in and out of Dublin, so I didn't experience much of what Dublin had to offer. Um, Probably my favorite memory from that whole entire study abroad trip was um, going to see the Cliffs of Moher, which is on the exact opposite side, so the western side of the island from Dublin. On the map, it didn't look very far. It took us about four and a half or five hours to get there. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was truly amazing. And as we're driving there, of course, we've gone completely across the country to see this one thing, and it is pouring down rain, pouring down rain. And so we thought, oh, my gosh, are we going to miss it because it's raining? And who wants to go and stand outside and look at these cliffs and the pouring down rain? I kid you not, when we got within – five miles of it the rain completely stopped we turned behind us once we got to the cliffs and there was a massive rainbow because of the rain that had been there so it was just a very um amazing experience Mm -hmm. to go there turn around see the rainbow the water is the bluest that i've ever seen it's just a very very deep kind of midnight blue Mm-hmm. and um, quite spectacular. So I I recommend it even if people um, are staying in Dublin, take a really long day trip, go mm-hmm. to the cliffs, and it's, willing, it's worth your time to do it.
2: There are a lot of bus tours that go there. Mm-hmm. I know I had th- thought about next trip maybe flying into Shannon just because it's mm-hmm. so much closer and yeah. then doing the loop because I'd love to see Waterford and some other parts of Ireland as well.
1: So we did go down south and drove to Waterford. That's where Waterford Crystal is made, and um, it is quite a bit cheaper there. Um, So I did buy some, and um, down that far south is the John F. Kennedy Memorial Arboretum. So his family's Irish. And it was a spectacular arboretum, Um, very different, plants and trees and everything we spent quite a bit of time touring that so I would say that it was it was certainly worth it it's it's long days if you choose to drive because it's a long distance from kind of city to city
3: Mm -hmm. in
1: um, the countryside of Ireland but it's beautiful it's lush one of my favorite memories is that um, there were strawberry stands everywhere in the middle of the summer And their strawberries are different. there. They're sweeter, and you can eat every single part of it except for the stem. And so I think that we probably ate um, two or three pints a person just in one day (laughs) because they were that amazing. So if you're there in the summer, check them out. They're worth it.
0: Thank you, ladies, for sharing your experiences. I got to tell you, it has been a number of years since I have been in the British Isles, but now I am... uh, motivated to plan that next trip a big thank you to elena ellis for joining us today and for sharing the experience of the younger generation traveling the world
3: yeah thank you you for having me
0: As you can all tell, travel is certainly a passion of ours. Uh, We love to talk about it, we love to experience new places, and uh, we love to share our thoughts about travel. And so we've got an exciting new expansion to uh, lead Travel Prey, and uh, Rebecca, tell us more about what we're adding to our site.
2: Sure. Uh, We are going to kick off a 100 Days, 100 Travel Tips series. It's going to be kind of like a micro blog, um, really short statements that will also be put out on Twitter. And if you're not following us on Twitter yet, our handle is at Lead Travel Prey. But we're going to be sharing things like our tips around the different colors of gas and uh, diesel handles, Um, and something to be aware of there. Also, um, we just recently were traveling abroad, as Elena mentioned, and almost every place we checked out asked, do you wanna pay in euros or US dollars? And so we've started researching questions like that to help uh, fellow travelers. So we're gonna put one out a day starting this week. So uh, be looking out for that new um, series, and we look forward to also hearing what you want to hear about in terms of tips or questions you might have when you travel. So stay tuned for that exciting series of 100 Days, 100 Travel Tips.
0: Thanks so much, Rebecca. Thanks, everyone, for being here today. You'll find more information on leadtravelprey.com. Until next time, take care.
3: Goodbye. Bye.